Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and Gods Speaker Step Series. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Chris. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation. Please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise and that might slash will distract others. Let's all take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of that day just drift away. Ask God to help you stay focused on Tradition 3 study tonight. Is everybody ready for two minutes of meditation? If so, I'll see you in two minutes.
Please join me in the fog light prayer. God, let your love shine through me like a fog light so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked Joey M. to come up here and read Appendix 2 from the big book, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have a spiritual experience, so it's kind of important to know what one is. Joey. Hello, I'm Joey. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Hey, Joey. Spiritual experience. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yes, it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of the experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the differences long before he is himself. He finally realizes he has undergone a profound alteration in, in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exception, exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an uninspected inner resource, which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of a spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Her answer. Thank you, Joe. Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane meeting mode or just go ahead and turn them off, unless you're watching the meeting on, on your phone, of course. And now it's the time when I get to introduce our, our friend, uh, Doc, our friend and our 
our teacher. Doc is somebody who's given a lot of himself to me and to my uh, to my friends and people that are new, and including myself. And uh, and he's he's really somebody that uh, my mom has noted. Ha- God talks through this man, she said, and I certainly agree with that. Anytime we have somebody with this much uh, wisdom and experience speaking, it is a privilege to be able to hear them. So please join me in welcoming Doc talking. On Tradition 3, he's been doing a wonderful tradition series. Doc, thank you. (laughs) How very, very overly kind. Doc, alcoholic, thank God they wrote it all down. You know, I am. And now that I am distanced, I will unmask. I am the Batman. There we go. (laughs) Tradition 3. You know... Um, been talking about traditions, and um, I have been taking kind of the spiritual tact toward the traditions, how we apply them to our lives daily. Uh, because Bill said, if we don't, if we can't apply these traditions to our lives uh, daily, personally, how can we expect to do it as a group? And it's been said that the steps are for the individuals and the tradition are for the groups. But uh, as I said in step one, I, I was shown that the traditions apply to me individually. You know, um, step seven was the first time they, they said, try to apply that one to yourself. And then I found that uh, certainly step 12 was a big one that applied to me. And then step 10, especially these days, thank God for step 10. You know, step 10, I can't wait to speak on that, but that doesn't, that doesn't prohibit me from having a viewpoint on outside issues. It allows me to not have to have one. Just like AA doesn't keep me from drinking, it allows me to not have to drink. And I appreciate that. Tradition 3 is the, the same way. Tradition 3, there's a couple of uh, pathways we can take in pursuing a study of Tradition 3. One is um, what, what it allows the group to do, what it allows AA to do, how it applies to AA as a whole, um, how it connects to the uh, concepts. Monday, when we're doing the big book study, uh, we, have, we have old Bill on the side who's doing the traditions, and last week he did two. And he talked a lot about the concepts. It was good, how the concepts uh, applied to uh, Tradition 2. And I'm not going to go too much in that direction. There are two great stories about how we can't keep anybody out, but let's start by just reading it. And then I'm going to show you the direction I want to go with this. The only requirement for AA membership is a desire to stop drinking. And that's it. That's it. That's the only requirement for membership. It was told me early on how great it is that we're in a fellowship that does everything it can to keep the doors open to allow people in, whereas almost every other club I can think of has rules to keep people out. You know, every country club, every golf club, every uh, mystical group, every lodge, every men's group, every... uh, Every group that is an excuse for drinking, uh, all those different animal clubs, right? And eagles and elks and moose and, uh, you know, they all have 
They all have rules on who they keep out. We have rules to, to allow anybody in, which is really awesome. It's really awesome. And, and we can study that, but that's not where I want to go in the, the few minutes I have. I mean, there's a couple great stories, and I'm going to touch on those couple great stories and a couple of my own. But I'm more concerned with what this means to me as an individual human being, how I apply this to my daily life, you know, because I'm 30 years sober, um, and it's funny, I'm, I'm ashamed that, I'm not ashamed, I'm embarrassed sometimes that I act like that's a lot of time, because I hang out with people with 33, 35, 40 years, and then I, whenever I say like 30 years, and I know it's sounding kind of prideful, I just think of my buddies that are going like, yeah, yeah, okay, kid, just, you just keep coming back, right? But 30 years is a while. And, uh, um, you know, in, 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 in the 30 years, I, I, I've kind of left the desire to quit drinking a long time ago, right? I have a desire to not ever return to drinking, but the desire to quit was taken away early on, you know? My, uh, I, I mean, the desire to quit was met early on. I, I, I didn't need to drink anymore. Um, in fact, it was removed before I went to my first meeting, and it hasn't returned. What I'm doing here after 30 years, and I can say, yeah, to give back, and that's all true, but more so, it's, this is the path that God gave me in order to rise to a level that I had sought for years before I ever got sober. You know, in all the esoteric books I read and all the uh, mind-expanding substances I took to try to find God and a spiritual awareness and an awakening, and, and none of that happened. I mean, I came so close so many times, but it just wasn't it wasn't reality. And then this program showed me a way with, the, with these simple, simple steps with, with just around 200 pages of text and then the traditions and the, uh, the supplements to the steps here and then eventually the concepts I tried to incorporate into my daily life as well. What is, what is liberty and what is justice and things like that. Um, and, and, and it brings me closer to God. And that's my, that's my goal in being here. Um, helping others is, is a joy that, you know, you don't know unless you, you've done that. And we all, those of us, all of us, you, you that all do it, know that joy. But really, the reason I'm here is, is because I, I, I want to grow spiritually. I want to enlarge my spiritual life in every possible way I can. So if I look at, at Tradition 3, and I know that, that I am an AA member, and it says the only requirement for membership, and, and I have a note on like medallions and things, is uh, white chips is not what you get for Every, every, every group is autonomous, by the way. You can give away a white chip, you know, just for coming in the door and not even raising your hand. You can hand them out as they come in. That's your own business, your own group's business. Traditionally, 
First day you came in, you got membership, right? By admitting, anyone to give up the fight and get free membership? <laughs> That's what you got. And then you celebrated, traditionally, in the old days, you celebrated 24 hours, right? And that's what brought you back the next day. Because it was Sister Ignatius, the inventor also of the coffee bar, that was the inventor of the medallion. Because after 28 days, she sent him out from the, uh, the hospital and these newly sober drunks and says, here's, here's a little medallion from a nun, right? And if you feel like drinking, before you go, you're free to drink. But before you do, please bring this back to me before you go out drinking. And you know. What, what good Irish drunk is going to bring back a medallion to a nun before he goes drinking? So she had, she's quite clever in that. But that's not what this is about. What, what, you know, how do I apply the requirement for AA membership as a desire to stop drinking to my own life, right? I, I, I have a desire, right? A, a desire to, to, not drink again, a desire to rise. Where, where does this come in? So I'm so happy that Bill wrote this down so that I can find this. Because this first paragraph on page 139 in the 12 and 12 is really about being God grabbing me and pulling me away from the bar stool and what is, I would consider, a divine salvation right here. It says, this tradition is packed with meaning. And you wouldn't think that from just reading it, right? You would think, okay, it's about membership. It's not about deeper meaning. It says, for AA is really saying to every serious drinker, you are a a member, not an alcoholic. doesn't say you're an alcoholic when you say you are. I know I hear that a lot at meetings. That's not what it says. It says you're a member when you say you are. It says no one can say you're an alcoholic. No one can decide for another whether he's an alcoholic. But it doesn't say you're an alcoholic when you say you are. Because that's not true. Right? I can have all sorts of drinking problems and call myself an alcoholic all day long and I'm not an alcoholic. Right? It does, I don't, I'm not an alcoholic because I say I am. I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous because I say I am. But I may just be a problem drinker. Right? I may just be somebody that had problems other than alcohol and wanted to stay drunk. Right? There's nothing, you know, there's nothing alcoholic about that. Sounds like there is, but there isn't, right? Had I had some really dark, nefarious things in my past, and I just wanted to forget them, and I drank a lot, that doesn't make me an alcoholic, right? Because what the book says is if I have a reason to quit that will suffice, a reason to suffice to quit, I can. An alcoholic is when I say, okay, I cannot drink tonight, it's Thursday, and I have to be at work Friday morning. I have a big meeting tomorrow morning, so I can't drink tonight. Then I don't, right? But if I say I can't drink tonight, and I wake up blasted at 6 a.m., or I'm still up at 6 a.m. Friday morning, right? I'm a, chances are I'm an alcoholic. So it doesn't say you're an alcoholic when you say so. It says you are an AA member when you say so. Uh, nobody has to vote on my membership, right? I don't have to fill anything out. I never filled out. I did uh, fill out the Rolodex in uh, South Beach. In fact, I went and found the Rolodex and brought it out and showed them what it was. There's a big Rolodex with all our old 
phone numbers from those of us who started the 10 and 10 down there. You can declare yourself in. Nobody can keep you out. Really? I'm not ever going to get a letter from the home office that says, by the way, uh, you have been violating all of the traditions. I hear you talking all sorts about outside issues at meetings. I hear you uh, uh, pimping other fellowships at meetings. I hear you talking about politics at meetings, right? You're, you're picking up lovers at meetings, right? I even heard you were drinking in the parking lot. I, I know that you slipped away with some people and smoked some weed in the parking lot. And uh, therefore, it is our suggestion that you be banned from, L- from AA. <laughs> banned from LA. I was banned from LA, but I wasn't banned from AA. You, were, you are hereby banned from AA. Until further notice. You'll never get that letter, right? No matter what you've done wrong. Again, we're going to hit another tradition. Every, every meeting is autonomous. So they can make up who the meeting can decide whether you can come back or not. If you're disruptive to this meeting, if we cannot carry out our function, we can, as a group conscience, go back to tradition two and say, we believe that our conscience indicates that you would be better served at a different meeting. But you can never be kicked out of AA. Never. And, and by the way, now that we are here in the 21st century, well into the 21st century, you know, us, us old-timers are like, you know, we're brand new into this new century for, yeah, 20 years now. We're a fifth of the way into it, right? Now in the, this this new this semi-new century, um, clubhouses are the predominant way that we have meetings. Um, they're no longer in the uh, basement of churches very often. They are in, in small-town America. Um, but now that churches found out we're willing to pay big bucks to rent out uh, clubhouses, they're not willing to give it to us free much anymore. And, and those clubhouses are businesses and they can ban you because they're a business. They're privately owned. So they can ban you from there. And even if the meeting votes for you to be allowed in, the owner of a clubhouse can come in and say, you're, you're not allowed in here. But that's not AA. No matter who you are, no matter how low you've gone, no matter how grave your emotional complications, what a nice phrase that is. I've dated several emotional complications. Even your crimes, we still can't deny you AA. We don't want to deny you AA. We don't want to keep you out. We aren't a bit afraid you'll harm us. Never mind how twisted or violent you may be right now, right? I told you about a guy... Gave a ride home. He got a gave him a ride home, and he was complaining about something. And I just told him, you know, straight up, why do you quit being so selfish? Why don't you do this and that and straighten up, man? Fly right. And he finally got a year, and he got a medallion. He told everybody, yeah, Doc gave me a ride home, and I had a, a knife in my pocket, and I was thinking of stabbing him right then when he was talking crap to me. And I about died in the back of the room, but so I don't talk straight up to newcomers anymore. 
unless I have a knife in my pocket. We just want to be sure that you get the same chance for sobriety that we had. That means they just told me, come in, sit down, sit down. In, in countries where I don't speak the language, I go to AA meetings. And I, you know what's hilarious? I don't have to speak the language, and I know exactly what person is saying what. Because there's only like about six or eight different kinds of stories, right? And you got funny stories and sad stories and tragic stories and selfless stories and selfish stories, right? And all, you know, these stories and really heart-wrenching stories. And you can tell just by the way everybody's reading them, you don't have to hear the words to know what the story is. It's the same story all, all the time. And every time I've gone to these meetings, they've said, come in, sit down, you know, make yourself at home. That's, that's, that's a beautiful thing all over the world. They're not afraid that anything... And that goes for newcomers, too. When, when, when old-timers say, you know, you might want to just listen, that's not because we're afraid that you're going to say something that will just... Ooh, I never heard that one before. I'm so offended. Oh, my God. I can't believe you shared that at a meeting. Please, we're, we're, we're saying that because we want to protect you from saying things that you wished you hadn't. 90 days later, right? You say, just want to be sure you get the same chances we have. So you're an AA member the minute you declare yourself. That is salvation, right? Now, from here on, we can go in and I can talk about, you know, what it means. And, but, but like I said, I, I want to talk about what it means to me personally. And what it means to me personally in my everyday life, is it means that, that there's a difference between judgment and condemnation, right? And, and, and we say, oh boy, that's a big switch, right? Dude, that was a switch, quick pivot, quick pivot from membership to judgment and condemnation. But that's what it is. When we have clubs that have rules about who can come in, we're making judgment calls. And we say, will the, the group be better or worse off if this person is a member? And that's what these stories in Tradition 3 are about. Uh, the ones about Ed and the ones about the... Uh, actually, it was... Uh, they don't say his name, but, but Barry L. talks about it. Um, who was the sexual deviant, is what he was. He wasn't, a, he wasn't a drug addict, but we'll get to him. He was a sexual deviant. Uh-oh. And now, and now we're going to have the, the flashback. Sound, what's that? A sound loop. A time loop. All right. Um, we, this, this tradition says that, that everyone here is welcome. It says that no matter how bad you are or how good you are, we're not going to condemn anything bad, and our judgment is that you're all equal. And that's an incredible concept, right? People that say, I don't judge, um, I don't know that they know the meaning of the word, right? You should be judging people in everything you do, right? It's a, a judgment call to use good judgment is discernment, 
right? You should be able to discern whether this is a healthy person to be around or a not healthy person, right? Whether, whether you can help this person or not help this person, whether you're wasting your time, whether it's dangerous, etc., right? And you don't, certainly if you're a family person, you don't want to bring them uh, around someone who's, who's uh, dangerous. But when we get, now I'm going to get confused, to page 141, it says, in tradition, the answer, they did, oh my God. <laughs> I got to wait a second. I can't, I can't think when I hear myself talking to myself, to myself, to myself, to myself. Okay, good. <laughs> um, it says, it says uh, that we were really, to begin with, uh, the meetings were really, really uh, scared that uh, anyone could come in and blow us out like a like a candle flame. Ooh, here's one. <sighs> Won't blow it out. See, it's an AA candle. Can't blow it out. <sighs> AA candle. But we were afraid that you could that anything could knock us off off center, right? And uh, so we were. It says we were only going to allow in pure alcoholics which Bill and Bob weren't pure alcoholics anyway, we find out later, right? There, there's no such animal as a pure alcoholic. And, and they didn't know whether they, they said we had to keep out, we didn't want, it, it, it couldn't be people with other complications. This is a great list because I have been um, all except the last one. Beggars, me, tramps, a tramp, by the way, is not a hobo. Hobo rides the rails, a tramp walks, right? Tramp. But they weren't talking about women tramps. They were talking about ho- bums, right? Hobos. Beggars, tramps, asylum inmates, prisoners, queers, love that word, plain crackpots, and fallen women were definitely out. Amazing. Yes, sir, we'd cater only to the pure and respectable alcoholics. I think that's awesome. When it comes down here, and, and the reason I bring this up is it, it comes down, it's to my point of, of, of what goes on in my life with this. It says, um, we were grim because we felt our lives and homes were threatened by these people, right? Um, later, there was a fellow... Uh, in one of the books, I forget which books. Oh, oh no, it was, uh, it's, it's Clarence, right? Clarence C. Isn't that? No, Chauncey, Chauncey C., thank you. And Chauncey talks about how he was a, uh, a blue-collar worker. And when he first came in, there were, you know, this meeting, it was doctors and lawyers, and he thought he, he, he would not fit in. He couldn't get sober among all these other hoi polloi, you know? That he was a real drinker. He was a Bowery bum. And, and uh, he, he ended up being sober like 65 years, you know. They were afraid that their homes, their lives would, would be threatened. It says, intolerant, you say? Well, we were frightened. This is great right here. After all, isn't fear the true basis of intolerance? Isn't fear the true basis of intolerance? Yes, we were intolerant. 
Yet we know that, that love and tolerance is our code. Right? That's it now. But it, it says fears, and it keeps going on. Sometimes frightening people, fears, frightening, far more frightened. Right? We were afraid. And then it says, um, but our principal teachers of patience and tolerance were these troublesome people. We couldn't imagine a society which would include every conceivable type of character and a society that cut across every barrier of race, creed, right, religious belief, politics, and language with ease. This is in America right now, 2020, this is a really volatile time outside of these walls, man. You can't say anything that you don't get immediately identified as some political idealist in one direction or another. And that's why I say it's so important that we live in the first step, the third step, and the tenth tradition when it comes to this, because I I have to keep Tradition 3 open, right? I close Tradition 3. I personally keep people out of AA when I decide to talk about uh, politics or um, not, not religion. And I, I, let, me, let me rephrase that. Not talking about politics or religion, creed, but intolerant politics and intolerant religion or intolerance about race, or intolerance about any of the number of things, all, all four of those things on the list. What was it? And language, right. If you don't speak this language, you shouldn't be in this meeting. Right? How crazy is that? It says, we left it to every newcomer to decide whether he is a member or not. I can go join a, a, a Lithuanian gay membership if I want, I'm neither Lithuanian nor gay. What? (laughs) Believe it or not, I'm not Lithuanian. It says here, so any of us that that condemn someone, anytime AA, and you are AA, I am AA, each of us individually are as important as any other member of AA, You are less important. The more service levels you go down into, the less important you become. How about that? You're more important at the top of the triangle in the in the voting masses. And we are we are AA. And anytime I condemn, it says here, and here's the word, condemnation. Anytime I condemn, I run the risk of killing somebody. Right? I run the risk of killing someone. Contrary to the experience of society and government everywhere, we're going to go, we're going to take a path different from all other societies. We will neither punish nor deprive any AA of membership. I can't punish you for doing the crappy things. Right? I can never compel anyone to pay anything or believe anything or conform to anything. Um, 
in my first five years, I became a, a service junkie. And my buddy and I, we weirdly got assigned to um, the Florence Crittenton School for Wayward Girls. All right? And Flo Crit was where they send, like, 16-year-old delinquents. And they are um, the most manipulative little nymphs you've ever met. They're dangerously manipulative, right? And my buddy and I went to those meetings, and the first thing we said is, you have to get in your head that no matter how much of their young teenness they want to throw at you, we have to be Stonewall AA members, right? And and they cannot influence in, influence us in any way by trying to be seductive or cute or whatever they wanted. That they were just they were just uh, delinquents, right? They were just alcoholic, drug addict delinquents. And with that attitude, we had so much fun with these teenagers, right? And they got sober, and they started staying sober. And then we started getting them to be allowed that they would drive them to a big meeting that we had. And that was great, once a week. And we find out that this one scumbag who keeps relapsing. He's also the guy that complains at every meeting uh, that he doesn't, he's not an atheist, but he doesn't need God to get him sober, that he is the guy that talks about at the beginning with the, uh, an act of providence, that God just strikes him sober when he needs to be, and then God allows him to get drunk when he needs it. So that's why he comes and goes, and it's all God's will. And we find out this guy is sneaking some of these underage girls out in the parking lot to smoke a joint and try to get in their pants. And of course, my buddy and I come unglued, right? The first thought we have is, all right, tradition three is true. And then I have Doc's tradition three, which is my boot up your ass in the parking lot. No questions about it, right? That's just swift justice outside of AA. We don't need to bring this to the board. We'll take care of it ourselves. But we didn't do that. And we brought it to uh, the, the chair people and the founders of the meeting and so forth. And, uh, and we realized we, we, we could ban him from that meeting. Or we could... There, that was about it. That was about all we could do, right? And what we did is we, we, we just went to him and we had a nice little talk. And, so, and that was all it required. And that was a little bit of just straight man-to-man talk about, you know, as AA members we are limited, but uh, as men we're not. So, you know, this, this will stop now. and it will. St- but you see, I got to say, that was... That was the wrong tack to take. I don't know that I wouldn't do the same thing today. We felt very protective of these underage children, you know? I don't know that I wouldn't do the same thing today, but I'm saying that I'm hoping God would show me uh, a much more tolerant tact, right? Because it, it, it says here, right? Tradition three is simplicity itself. 
It says it, it's taught us the experience, at last experience taught us that to take away any alcoholic's full chance, now that would mean, of course, to AA to dismember him, or I guess that's not quite the word I mean. <laughs> I wanted to dismember this guy, but to rob him of his full membership. But, it, but still, was sometimes to pronounce his death sentence. Okay, so I, let's remove this, and let's look at the overall sentence together, my story for a moment, and come back to this. And often to condemn him to endless misery. Now here's the part that I'm really, you know, I wasn't, I was, like I said, I was in my first five years of sobriety. So hopefully I would look at it differently today. But it says, who dared to be judge, jury, and executioner of his own sick brother? All right, that sentence right there, that's straight up, right? Well, what does it say in the big book? It says in the doctor's opinion, I think it's on 26, right? Is that right? Yeah, in Roman numerals, right? Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol, blah, blah, blah. It goes, they cannot after a time differentiate the true from the false. And I'm not certain I know when that comes back. You know, I would say that today I am relatively certain the true from the false many times. I could not say 100% all times. I don't know. Because I don't know when it's false if it seems true. Right? That's why I have a sponsor. That's why I have friends. That's why I have people in the fellowship that goes, hey, that wasn't what you thought it was. That wasn't right. That wasn't as clear as you thought. So certainly for me, to be judge, jury, and executioner, right? Doesn't talk anything about advocates there. There is no advocate when you condemn somebody. So if I take this theory that, that as an alcoholic, when I came in here, I could not differentiate the true from the false at any time. And now I can still, I, arguably, get drunk tomorrow, or fall into any of the problems I had 30 years ago tomorrow, arguably. Chances are probably I won't. But I certainly don't want to put myself in a position of being so crystal clear in my view that I can condemn somebody just because I know what they're doing is wrong. Right? I did know. I know today it was wrong. I know today it was wrong what he was doing. But we don't have the right to go in and change that. So, so when it talks about, first of all, on page 142, um, 1968 was the last time Bill Wilson spoke. Um, it's recorded, and you can hear it. Emphysema has his voice pretty choppy, but you can hear it. And he tells the story about the fellow that came in and said, he, but he asked, will you let me join your group since I am the victim of another addiction even worse stigmatized than alcoholism? You may not want me among you, or will you? Okay. Um, Barry L. writes about it, or, or spoke about it. <clears throat> Excuse me. And 
what that was was when Bill talked about that at the meeting, that was he, he's, the guy who came in said, I'm a sex deviant, right? And you may not want us. And, and Bill goes, well, we got to take this to the group. I can't just make a decision right here, you know? You're a sex deviant. Now, what's funny is, is, is later there's, there's stories about people that go, yeah, well, drinking is pretty deviant too, you know? Being a drunk is pretty deviant. And they, when they say sex deviant, they weren't talking about fallen women. They were talking about the queer back here. Which, by the way, doesn't mean gay. It, it means all, right? We, we're all, it means odd. We're all a lot. We're owning this word again, right? All of us queers, we're owning it. Playing crackpots. It's right next to playing crackpots, by the way, right? That's what it is. Between prisoners and crackpots. I love it. Right? So, so, and they went back and he says, well, what's the group to do? And it was, it was, it was Dr. Bob who said, okay, they, they debated this for weeks and weeks and loudly about how this could just ruin everything. No one would want to be in a group like this. Right? If they, we have sexual deviance in it, no way. First of all, it's against the law. Right? Secondly, it would just ruin our reputation. Remember when it told us right here, uh, it said fear is the true basis of intolerance? Right? What are you afraid of? And that's what Bob says. He says, what we are really afraid of is our reputation. Vanity, right? We were talking about that. Vanity, all is vanity. We are much more afraid about what people may say than the trouble this strange alcoholic, yeah, this strange alcoholic might bring. As we've been talking, five short words have been running through my mind. Something keeps repeating to me, what would the master do? Now, when Bill spoke of this, he, it, it's more than just five. He says, what would the master do in a situation like this? Right Now, no doubt that Bob Smith meant Jesus the Christ when he said the master. But the God of the big book isn't necessarily Jesus. It is to followers of Jesus. It, it may not be. It may just be God to, to, to Jews. It may be Allah to Muslims. It may be, um, even though Buddha isn't really God, still Buddha is the master, right? And, and that's what the God of the big book is. It, 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 is what, it is what the God you need to have, your higher power. That's what's so amazing about God is God will make himself known to you in the manner you need to see him today. And he may change that tomorrow. That's what happened to Ed later, right? Ed is not who it is. Ed is not his name. We all love Ed, though, right? Ed the atheist. Ed was, was, was Bill B., right? And Bill B.'s story is, I think, the third one in the back, third or fourth one, uh, the vicious cycle after the European drinker. Oh, no, it's about fifth or sixth, right? And then there's the gay one, the bell of the ball. No, that's, a, no, that's not gay. <laughs> this is a joke. I'm just joking. <laughs> All the gay men laughed. Okay. The bell of the ball. Thank you. <laughs> no, Ed was Jim B. And, 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 and uh, Jim B. 
was the atheist. And I loved this story, and I'm not going to go into it because I don't have much time. It's uh, right at eight. Be, I love the story because I am that intolerant guy. I am that intolerant guy at the meeting. I am the intolerant guy that goes, oh man, because I used this guy, and, 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 and I, he was really old 15 years ago, so if he's not passed away by now, he's so old that he won't remember that he used to do this. But he used to come to a meeting, and when we would say the Lord's Prayer in a circle, not only would he stand outside the circle, but he'd heckle it. On every, every line we'd say he had another line to come back, right? And eventually the last thing he'd yell is, don't drink the Kool-Aid. Now everybody knows who it is, right? And, uh, and we just kept thinking, God, when will this guy get drunk, you know? Okay, he, 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 when it's a speaker share meeting and the microphone goes around for half the, the time, this guy was certain to get the mic and just belittle all of, just exactly as Ed here, that it's for weak people, right? Weak-minded people, all this God nonsense. Uh, what, what does he say? Wait, where? Oh yeah, right, right. He, uh, he paid a fine, and it was finally time for Ed, Jim, to speak at a meeting. We shivered before we knew what was coming. He paid a fine tribute to the fellowship. Now he's five months sober, by the way. Um, he told us, well, he's not even five months sober, because he got drunk at five months. So he's probably three months sober, two or three months. He told us how his family has been reunited. He extolled the virtues of honesty. He recalled the joys of 12-step work. Then he lowered the boom, cried Ed. I can't stand this God stuff. It's a lot of blarky for weak folks. This group doesn't need it, and I won't have it to hell with it. (laughs) Now, I'm old school big book. I believe that's all we have to offer. I believe that Dr. Silkworth is absolutely clear when he says this is not a psychological matter. Right? I believe that Carl Jung was absolutely clear when he says, Roland H., I got nothing for you, man. The only thing that could help you is if some sort of divine intervention was to give you a, a, an entire psychic change. That's all I can hope for you. Right? I believe that, not, that nothing we do will get us sober. I believe that the book talks about grace. I believe all of that. I also believe that the book says uh, it's fine to use the group as your higher power at the beginning. But by the time you get to step six, it says, by now, you found a God, right? By now, there's a, a, a deity in your life that you can connect with. Um, so that's, that's fine. I don't think you can do it forever. I, I, I've worked with, uh, with you know people that they never get past this good orderly direction or they never get past of um that the god in me is just being good and 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 that's not up to me right i got i i can make a judgment um as far as how i will be able to help that person um but i certainly am not going to condemn any of those thoughts or beliefs um if I were to, I, I used to be the guy yelling, you know, get this guy out. Or not yelling, but at least after the meeting in the parking lot talking about how to get rid of this guy, 
you know. This guy is going to kill newcomers, right? And that, that's, that's certainly a, a little bit about bleeding deacons because Ed was a guy, remember, in his first few months, he had at least an idea a minute on how to improve AA. <laughs> now, um, the thing with Ed is pretty soon nobody wanted to help him. And when he went out of town and he got drunk and he called for help, nobody would go. Nobody would answer his call. Now, I don't know that I would be, a, I, you know, I hope today, I think today I would go. I think today that there's enough sunlight of the Spirit that I would be compelled to go. Um, even if just to go, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would, I would think that if I got the call that that was God's will calling me, you know, that that's proof that, that God is calling me. But here's the interesting thing, you see, certainly in, in my understanding and my studies of God, I have read enough stories where God has placed... Uh, divisions between what men want to do and what God wants them to do. And, and in this story with, with, quote, Ed, whose real name is Jim, it's God's will that nobody answers his call. Because if somebody answered his call, he'd still be the same Ed. Thank you. But see, nobody answered his call. And that's what God wanted. Because it's clearly here that Ed said, you know, we said, leave him alone. Let him try it by himself for once. Maybe he'll learn a lesson. In a neighboring state, Ed had holed up in a cheap hotel. That's a neon sign flashing hotel. After all his pleas for help had been rebuffed, These words rang in his fevered mind. They have deserted me. I have been deserted by my own kind. This is the end. Nothing is left. And and, and dig it. If all he has, and he even explains later that for many years that's all he had, was just the feeling of goodness, the feeling of service, and those were kind of his divine... His, that was what was divine in him that he found as God. Um, but, but, but I would say that like if you're relying on other people, your, your group of drunks as God, you know, they can desert you. And you're, you're gone. You're, you got nothing then, right? Where's the good orderly direction then? He's already drunk. Right? How do I reach inside my drunkenness and pull out my own goodwill and use that to help me? That, that's that myth of pulling yourself by your own bootstraps. It means grabbing your feet and pulling yourself up into space. It doesn't work. You know? But what was there was God. And Ed said he tossed on his bed and his hand brushed the bureau nearby, touching a book. Opening the book, he read. It was the Gideon Bible. I'd never confided any more of what he saw and felt. 
in that hotel room. Um, it said, what if we had actually succeeded in throwing Ed out for blasphemy? Yeah, and what if one compassionate member had gone to help him? You can't look at it like that. You know, what God does is what God does. What, what we need to look at is page 92 in the 12 and 12, 92 and 93, is this. We have these two things, and this is what we live, everything we live by. The, the, tradition three is just to test who I am, test my mettle as a man, as a human. Bottom of page 92 the idea, and then to 93, that we can possess, be possessively loving of a few, can ignore the many, and can continue to fear, right, intolerant, or hate anybody, has to be abandoned, if only a little at a time. That's a Buddhist concept. You have to love everybody. That was a Jesus concept. What would the master do? See, when he says that, he's not just talking, he, he's specifically talking about Jesus. But when the book says it, it's saying, what, is, what does your master of all love, tolerance, peace, your higher power as you understand it, what does it want you to do? How do you become more tolerant and loving? How do you move from position one to position three, where it's God, others, and then me? Right? How do I put you more important than anyone, even if you're a dirt hole, right? Even if you're that scummy guy out in the parking lot trying to get high with underage girls trying to recover, right? If you're one of those, or you're a screaming atheist, right? Not that, not that at that point, Ed, nothing's wrong with Ed. It's wrong with me for thinking, that, for ju- condemning Ed, right? No, no, no. It's, it's, it's here. I have to love everybody. And that's what Jesus says. Jesus says, okay, Moses says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And Jesus says, it's going to be tougher this time. I say, everybody goes in one basket. You can't possessively love. Boy, that's how we like to love too, isn't it? If I don't have all your attention, I don't love you as much. I need all your attention. More. More of your attention. I possessively love you. And I I love how they put fear and hate in the same basket. I fear and hate these people. And then I just dismiss the big basket in the middle. I just dismiss all of you. I have no use for all of you. Right? And this book, as well as most religious teachings, say you got to put them all into one basket and love them all. I have a very, very dear friend that says it changed her whole life to start loving the people at work she hated. This is the last thing that I believe uh, Tradition 3 is trying to teach us. It's the very famous sentence on page 77. It says, Our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. So if, if I'm of service to someone, basically that's the slave and master uh, 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 relationship. That's the 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 uh, uh, the student and teacher relationship, right? 
That's the, I am service, I am to serve God and the other people around us. What would my master do, right? What would God do? What would the, the source of love and tolerance do? The source of love and tolerance would not threaten somebody for doing what's wrong, even though I know it's wrong. What the, 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 the master of, of love and tolerance looks at all of it, whether it's this stuff, or whether it's anything in our lives, to say, where can I, as, as step 12 says, where can I deny myself a little bit in order to make your life better? How can I serve God and you by denying myself just a little bit? And that investment in humanity is, is a payoff that I cannot explain, until next week, when we get to step, or uh, rather, Tradition 4. Thank you so much, Doc Alcoholic. Thank you so much, Doc. Uh, thank you. All right. Um, so this is the time for the Secretary's report. And out of respect for uh, social distancing and the virus, we will, I'll act as the Secretary. Uh, and I'm a recovered alcoholic. In keeping with the seventh tradition, donate to your local intergroup. Contribute. Contribute. It's not the same thing, I'm told. Every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Um, and I will also read the recovered statement. The recovered statement is read to explain why many people uh, introduce themselves, identify as recovered rather than recovering, and what exactly that means to be a recovered alcoholic. Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered but not cured? That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in the body. And that's page 23 in the big book. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. All right, this is 1940s-style big book sponsorship from the Ford of the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous of Alcoholics who came to AA and really tried. 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. If you are a recovered alcoholic, please wave in the Facebook or Zoom chat so that you can be identified and reach out if you are looking for a sponsor to somebody who has identified themselves as recovering, recovered, sorry. If you've recovered from, uh, recovered from alcoholism, wave uh, in Zoom or Facebook. And then if you want a sponsor, if you need a sponsor, if you need help, uh, just go ahead and contact those people. Uh, Okay, so last meeting of the month is not this week, so please join us Monday nights. The Monday night big book study has been awesome. It's been excellent. It's been Mike Chase E and Doc H, uh, and Bill also has been a part of it. Traditionist Bill, you may know Traditionist Bill. We got about 70 or 80 years of sobriety up, up front here, and it's just awesome to hear all that experience. Uh, so 7.15 Monday night, join us early on Zoom for the meeting before the meeting on the virtual meeting. 
We have CDs, mugs, large print, big books, little red books, and big book dictionaries for sale. Uh, but you're not going to be able to buy them because we are closed. So uh, we might mail it to you after we spray it with bleach, of course. We meet every Thursday starting promptly at 7.15, and we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the Road to Recovery saxophone solo. Thank you, and see you next week. Oh, that's the secretary's thing. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, so join the big book study. Alcoholicsandgod.org, alcoholicsandgod.org. If you'd like to hear this meeting that just took place or any of the other meetings, uh, and I would, yeah, big book study Monday night, 715. If you'd wish to thank Doc, uh, please uh, pray. It'll get to him. <laughs> it's like mailing it to Santa Claus, right? Um, let us close, please, with the Lord's Prayer. Who will bring us from shame to grace? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Don't drink. Thirsty bodies aching. I am desperately in need of restoration. Yeah, and I am ready for you to take me higher. Yeah, the only thing that I can do. It doesn't matter.
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. Time in my life, 
fields are green now, growing vines. They twist and turn each way, flowers blooming all the time outside my door. Change everything to realize that today is the best day of my life. Cause this broken man traveled far and wide through the great divide through his own heart, yeah. Just about to start. So I face each day in a brand new way. Show up and plug in my guitar. And I play my songs. And people sing along. And stomp their feet and raise their arms. And here in this moment that we share. Could come the fog is lifted. See the light. Count my blessings when I go to sleep at night, and I dream now. Yeah, I dream now, and everything's alright. <laughs> oh man. Going on 10 years old, that song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?
as far as they'll go in. Clap your hands if you believe me, children. A one man's soul that 